Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 17 It was long past noon. The sun shone, but as through a veil, a soft October haze, mellowing the brightness of the beautiful woods, where a solitary figure, that of a tall Indian, was following the trail with long, rapid strides. It was the Shawnee, Wawillaway, not on the warpath, for though armed as usual with gun, tomahawk, and scalping knife, no war club was in his hand, no paint on his face. He had been on a peaceful errand to Old Town to dispose of his baskets, game, and peltries, and was now quietly wending his homeward way. No report of Herod's death and the consequent excitement and alarm among the settlers in the Scioto Valley had reached Wawillaway, and when he saw three white men, Woof, and two men, whom he had hired to assist him on his farm, coming toward him, no thought of how hostile intention on their part, or his own, was in his heart. They met him in the trail, and he shook hands cordially with them, inquiring about their health and that of their families. A little talk followed, and Wolf proposed to exchange guns took Wawillaways on a pretense of examining it with a view to purchase slyly blew out the priming and handing it back said he did not care to swap while willoway had seen his treacherous act but still suspicious took his own gun handing back the other have the indians begun war asked one of wolf's companions no no said the chief the indians and white men are all one all brothers now why haven't you heard that the indians have killed chief captain herod asked wolf while Willoway looked astonished and incredulous. No, no, Indian not kill Captain Herod, he said. Captain Herod not dead? Yes, he is. It's certain that he was found dead and scalped in the woods a few days ago, said Woof. Maybe Fairwater too much drink make fight. No, Herod hadn't any quarrel with the Indian, and we don't know which of them killed him. Maybe some bad white man killed Captain Herod, suggested Wawillaway. Then shaking hands all round again, he turned to go on his way when Woof shot him in the back, mortally wounding him. The brave Wawillaway, wounded as he was, was deprived of the use of his gun, turned upon his cowardly assailant with his tomahawk, and spite of the superiority of numbers, killed one and severely wounded Woof and the others. A distant sound of horses' hoofs sent them flying into the woods, leaving the lifeless body of their comrade and the bleeding, dying, while Willoway lying in the trail. Nearer and nearer came the sounds, and in another moment two farmers, returned from Chillicothe to their homes, had come to a sudden halt beside the prostrate forms and were gazing with grief horror and dismay upon the bloody scene. It's while Willoway, cried one, hastily dismounting and stooping over the Indian, who can have done this cruel wicked deed, for he has always been the white man's friend. Ah, oh, he's not dead, thank God. Come, Miller, help me to raise him up. 
They did so as gently as possible, but life was ebbing fast. They saw it in his glazing eye and the clammy sweat upon his brow. Another horseman came galloping up and drew rein close at hand, then leaping to the ground, came hurriedly toward the little group. Dr. Clendenin, cried Miller, you have come in the nick of time. No, sighed Kenneth, taking the cold hand of the of Wawillaway, he is beyond human help. Wawillaway, my poor friend, whose work is this? With a great effort, the Indian rallied his expiring energy sufficiently to tell in a few broken sentences of Woof's perfidious and cruel deed, then gasped and died. He is gone, Kenneth said in a voice tremulous and husky with emotion, and this foul deed of a bloodthirsty, conscienceless will in all probability be visited upon our infant settlements in a tempest of fire and blood. Woof! The scoundrels rightly named, muttered Miller between his clenched teeth. Andrews to his comrade, we should be scouring the woods in search of him at this moment. If we could catch the, and deliver him up to justice, it might go far toward averting the threatened storm. Yes, and there's no time to be lost, but the first thing is to hurry home and secure the safety of our families. The alarm should be given at once in Chillicothe, said Kenneth, hastily mounting as he spoke. That shall be my task, and doubtless a party will be sent out at once in search of Woof. In another moment all three had left the scene of blood and death, and were galloping furiously through the woods, the farmers toward their homes, Kenneth in the direction of the town. The sun had set some time before, it was already growing dark, and when he reached Chillicothe many of the people had retired for the night, coming in at the end of the town farthest from Major Lamar's house, and stopping to call up and consult with several of the other influential citizens whose dwellings lay between he was late in reaching it. Nell was roused from her first nap by a loud knocking on the outer door, and a familiar voice calling, Major! She sprang to the window and opened it. What is it, doctor? she asked, her voice trembling a little with excitement and alarm in spite of herself. I am very sorry to disturb you, he answered, something in his low, earnest tone sending a strange thrill through her whole being, but there is not an instant to be lost. Dear Miss Nell, rouse the household and dress yourself with all haste, not forgetting a shawl and bonnet, for the night air is chill and the door opened at that moment, and the Major's voice was heard. What's wrong? Ah, oh, it is you, Doctor. Yes, Major. While Willoway lies dead out yonder on the trail, told town, slain, treacherously, in cold blood, through a wolf, and of course we ex may expect an attack from the Indians as soon as they can get here after the news reaches them. It has been decided that the women and children shall be collected in Ferguson's house, that being the largest in town. Can I be of any assistance in getting yours there? No, no, thank you. I'll have them directly, and you will be wanting to warn others. The doctor rode rapidly away, while the major shut the door and called to his wife and children. Up! Dress yourself as fast as you can. Nail! Yes, she answered. I'll be there in a moment. 
She had heard all and was hurrying on her clothes with trembling fingers, the tears rolling down her cheeks. Oh, while will away, while will away, you have died for me, she sobbed. Oh, that cruel, cruel man. Sounds of commotion came from below. The little ones crying, Clara calling in frightened tones. Nell, Nell, do come help with the children. If you can, I shall never get them dressed. The servants added their terrified clamor as they rushed hither and thither in obedience to the orders, collecting such articles of value or necessity as could be thought of and found in the hurry and alarm of the moment. The Major alone preserved his calmness and presence of mind, and thus was able to control and direct the others. At Claire's call, Nell dashed away, her tears snatched up hat and shawl, and ran downstairs. Dressed, said Claire. You've been very quick. Now help with the children. They're too frightened or too sleepy to get into their clothes, and Maria's so scared she's of no use whatever. Calm yourselves, wife and sister, said the Major, coming from an adjoining room. We must put our trust in God, who we know will not suffer any real evil to befall his people, and the Indians can hardly reach the town under an hour or two at the very earliest. His word, and the quiet composure with which they were uttered, had a soothing effect upon the ladies, calming their agitation and reviving their courage. In a very short time the whole family were in the street, rapidly winding their way to Mr. Ferguson's, toward which terrified women and children were now hurrying from every quarter. The town was thoroughly awake, lights gleamed in all the houses, and every possible preparation was being made to receive and repel the expected attack. Sentinels were posted, and an old man who had served as drummer in the Revolutionary War was appointed to give the signal, the roll of the drum should the enemy be seen approaching. As the Major and his family neared the place of Redesavais, they fell in with Captain Bernard and Littleton, who followed them into the house, inquiring if there were anything they could do to make the ladies more comfortable. As the light of a candle burning in the hall fell on Nell's face, Littleton saw the traces of tears on her cheeks, and bright drops still shining in her eyes. Do not be too greatly alarmed. Doubtless we shall succeed in keeping them at bay, he whispered protectingly, and you may rest assured we'll make your safety my special charge. I am not afraid, she said, drawing herself up slightly, while the collar deepened on her cheek. No, I believe I am, but it is not that that causes my tears, and they burst forth afresh as she spoke. What then? he asked in surprise. I weep for my friend, my poor murdered friend, lying stiff and stark and yonder in the woods, and the tears fell like rain. What? The Indian? he exclaimed in utter amazement. Yes, for while Willoway, did he not save my life? Yes, twice, he has rescued me from a wild beast, first a panther, then a wolf, she said with a shudder. Aunt Nell, Aunt Nell, I so sleepy, I so tired, sobbed little Bertie, her three-year-old nephew and a special pet. Please sit down and take me in your lap. She had the child by the hand. The crowd was pushing them on, was between them and the rest of the family, and now separated her from Littleton. Oh, here you are. Come this way, the Major said, appearing in an open doorway at the end of the hall, and snatching up Bertie here, he hurried back into the large living room, Nell following. Tig had brought a great armful of buffalo robes, deer, and bear skins, of which he 
was making a very comfortable couch in one corner under the direction of his mistress. Claire soon had the children laid upon it and snugly covered up with shawls. She then sat down beside them with her babe in her arms. Can't you lie down too now, she said. There's room enough and you'd better sleep while you can. That is not now, Nell answered with a sigh, but I will sit down here beside Bertie. She seated herself on the farther side with Claire, where her face was in shadow, and little Bertie laid his head in her lap. She bent over him, softly stroking his hair and dropping silent tears upon it. She could not forget while will away. The room, the house, was full of terrified women and children, many of the latter crying valiantly from discomfort and fright, while the tearful, trembling mothers vainly strove to soothe and comfort them. Mrs. Barber, occupying a distant part of the same room with the Lamars, paid small attention to hers, being too much taken up with her own feelings, too busy bewailing her hard fate, somehow much more to be commiserated than that of any other person present, and now and then going off into a violent fit of hysterics. Mrs. Nash was there, quiet, patient, cheerful, doing the best to allay her sister-in-law's excitement and alarm, and that of her own and her brother's children. Nor were her kind ministrations entirely confined to them. She contrived to speak words of hope and cheer to others also. The room was dimly lighted by a candle burning on a table, which had been pushed into a corner to be out of the way of the numerous beds spread upon the floor. Mrs. Hedwidge placed her two younger children under this table, bidding them go to sleep, and never fear, does the Indians, your mother will be right here and take care of you. Then getting possession of a chair, she sat down close beside them, drew the candle near her, snuffed it out carefully, opened a bundle she had brought with her, and began sewing most industriously. How can you, Mrs. Hedwidge? cried Mrs. Barber. You're the most cold-blooded creature I ever saw. Dish is flannel to keep men children warm. My children must have dis flannel. Tends to wear in de woods. Men Indians, explained the German woman, jashing away a tear, but I hopes dis Indians never gets here to sh steal my little dears. If they do come, they'll kill a good many more than they still sobbed another woman. Oh dear, oh dear. You stop such doleful talk, all of you, said Mrs. Nash. You'll frighten the poor children to death. Where are the men? What's become of my Tom? fretted Mrs. Barber. The men are going, doing their duty, answered Mrs. Nash. Some are guarding this house. Some posted as sentinels on the outskirts of the town are putting their valuables in some place of safety. And they have set out a party in search of wolf, added Mrs. Lamar. I heard the Major and Captain Bernard speaking of it. And if they can catch him, they will hang him or give him up to the Indians and let them wreak their vengeance on him as injustice they should instead of on the innocent. Let us trust in the Lord and try to sleep, said a pious old lady who had laid herself calmly down beside her grandchildren. We need rest to strengthen us for the morrow's duties and trials. Most of us profess to be Christians, and why should we not be able to feel that we are safe in our Father's hands? Nor walls nor hills could guard us so well, O Selim's happy ground, as those eternal arms of love that every saint surround. 
A silence fell upon the room as the sweet old voice ceased, even Mrs. Barber being shamed into momentary quiet. Claire laid her babe down, stretched herself beside it, and the older children in her regular breathing soon told that she slept. But Nell still sat with Bertie's head in her lap, her face hidden in her hands, while tears trickled between the white slender fingers, for her thoughts had gone back to her murdered friend. I shall never see him again in this world, she was saying to herself, and oh, shall I meet him in another? Why, why did I never speak to him of Jesus? Now it was too late, too late. Someone sat down beside her, and a voice said in low, rich tones, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Dear Miss Snell, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Thank you, she said, uncovering her face and hastily wiping away her tears. But, oh, it is not that, not fear of the Indians, she sobbed, the tears bursting forth fresh. Dr. Clennanan, you have not forgotten what I owe to Wawillaway, and you know but the half. I know that he saved you from the panther, he said, with a look of surprise. Yes, and from I know not what at the hands of this very ruffian wolf and in a brief sentence or two she told of her danger and her escape, adding with a low cry of pain, and oh, I fear that it was in revenge for this that poor Wall Willoway was slain. He has died for me. Kenneth was much moved. Indignation against Wolf, gratitude for the fair girl's rescue, admiration of the brave Wall Willoway, grief for his sad end, contending for the mastery in his breast. I too grieve for while will away, but Miss Nell, you are looking solely in need of rest. As your physician, I prescribe a few hours of sleep. He gently lifted the curly head from her lap to the couch and bade her lie down beside the child. The Major is with the party who are in pursuit of the assassin and has left you and the rest of the family in my care so that his authority to me for tonight in addition to that which i may lawfully claim as medical adviser he said with one of his rare sweet smiles so do not venture to disobey my order fair lady and he added in a still lower whisper let me give you this for a pillow to rest your weary head upon i will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou lord only makest me dwell in safety Thank you for listening to another episode of Acre Soft Story Classic.